Hi there, folks. Welcome to We're All Ears, a Golden Harvest podcast mini-series that will air throughout Harvest 2021. I'm Kara Hart, and I'm very excited to be your host for this mini-series. First, let me tell you a little bit about me, and then I'll fill you in on what you can expect from this podcast. I'm a Midwesterner through and through. I was raised on a diversified corn, soybean, wheat, and livestock farm, and that's where I found my love of agriculture. I continued that passion at the University of Missouri-Columbia, where I learned even more about this fascinating industry through my degree in agricultural journalism. I currently serve as the National Association of Farm Broadcasting's West Region Vice President, and I'm a reporter for the Red River Farm Network, helping farmers stay up to date with the agriculture agriculture industry every day. Now about this podcast, we're going to be with you every step of the way this harvest, whether you're listening while you're in the field or in your kitchen after a hard day's work. We're going to bring you valuable discussions on a wealth of agriculture topics from agronomic challenges to solutions to ag policy insights to an inside look at the research, development and production processes that go into creating the corn and soybean seeds you plant every season. This first episode is a great way to start us off as it is a meeting of the East and West. We'll be joined by David Schlake, Golden Harvest Agronomy Manager for the West, and Steve Wilkins, Golden Harvest Agronomy Manager for the East. They'll walk us through how corn and soybean farmers in their regions overcame the many challenges of 2021, in addition to what we can expect from this coming harvest. We're glad you're here. This is We're All Ears. David and Steve, thanks for joining us. Introduce yourselves. Give us some background on who you are and what you do. We'll start with David. Yeah, great to be on the podcast um, here today, uh, Kara. So uh, I'm David Slake, and I'm the agronomy manager uh, for Golden Harvest West or for our, our West commercial business unit. So I reside in southeast Nebraska, uh, lifelong uh, Nebraskan uh, native. I've uh, been with Golden Harvest uh, a little over uh, 15 years, and uh, I work with our agronomists that help support our, our Western business unit. And so um, I work with the agronomy team in Northwest Iowa, Western Minnesota, and then North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Nebraska, Kansas, and and then a little bit into Colorado and, and Texas. And uh, I lead our team of agronomists that is there to help support our customers and resellers and sales reps uh, based on that geography. Steve, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here as well. So a little bit about myself as I am Davis counterpart. So I would have the same job as him and I cover our central and eastern corn belt. Uh, I was been with the company now for about 10 years and uh, it goes by quick, but it's been a great ride the whole way through. So I grew up on a fifth generation dairy farm in eastern Wisconsin. Uh, agriculture certainly runs in our family and runs in our blood and there's nothing else that I would rather do. So I've got a lot of, a lot of appreciation for the not just the work that we do, uh, but the growers and stuff that we work with. And it's an exciting time to be an egg. It's an exciting time to be with Syngenta and the Golden Harvest brand. We all know that Mother Nature brought a lot of extremes this season. Many areas experienced or are still experiencing drought this year, whereas others had heavy rain and almost really good growing conditions now. What kind of weather did you see in your regions and what effects did that have on the trajectory of the 2021 corn and soybean season. Let's start in the East with Steve. Yeah. 2021. What a year, right? Right. Uh, we look back on it and we certainly started off dry in some areas. 
but then as we got into the core of the growing season, specifically in my central and eastern area, the rains came and they came in significant amounts. So while I certainly have pockets of drought, I also have areas that had way too much water. And that really gave us challenges with fer fertilizer, uh, fertility management, disease, uh, specifically a disease such as tar spot. Um, so we've, we've got a good yield over here, but we need to get the crop in the bin as quick as we can because we're going to have some challenges late season if we don't. What about the West? Yeah, we started off uh, really pretty dry, uh, really, really across the whole uh, Western geography. And we had a lot of places that, that really stayed that way. And Carrie, you would you would know that well, um, you know, being up in the, up in the Dakotas there. Uh, you know, it, we've definitely had places where that drought lingered on and the, the crops, you know, majorly impacted from that. And, and there's pockets where, you know, they did get some timely rain and they'll have some, some pretty good yields, but there's also definitely parts of Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, and then even coming down into parts of Nebraska and Kansas where that drought lingered on and we're, we're going to have some impact from that. Now we did start to get some rains, uh, late. There was some areas where we did get some August rains. We might have some soybean yields, um, you know, that look pretty good. And of course, there's some pockets where the corn yields will be pretty well, pretty good as well. But some of that rain came a little late for some of that corn crop. Um, and so we'll, we'll definitely have some pockets where the yield might not uh, quite be um, up to maybe our, our trend line yields. But there is some bright spots out there. And so it's just probably really veritable. Uh, would be the best way to the, describe kind of what we're going to see in the West this year. David, what recommendations do you have for the growers in the Western side of the Corn Belt who are still dealing with the effects of the extreme weather conditions, at least as we get through the rest of this growing season? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, as the growing season wraps up, uh, you know, there, there's not a, not a ton of the ton of things we can, we can do to make up for that. But, you know, some of what we can do, though, is we want to make sure that we want to get the crop that we do have out there, you know, in the bin. We, we want to get that harvested in a good, timely manner. And, of course, when we're looking at some of these areas where it might be more drought stress, you know, that eventually does start to take a toll, uh, on the, on the crop from an agronomic perspective, you know, you're seeing maybe some cannibalization, you're, you saw some disease come in, uh, from some of those August rains that are maybe impacting that crop. And so right now, uh, a grower really wants to get out there. You're going to want to prioritize those fields that you want to harvest first, um, from a, from a stock quality standpoint or prioritize. And we, we, we need to get this one out before maybe we have some issues. And so right now you want to make sure you, you prioritize and you have a good plan uh, to your harvest. And that goes for uh, both corn and soybeans. You know, we, we have some areas as well where, you know, maybe they saw some different challenges from a soybean uh, side of things from some insects or maybe they had some disease. Um, and so you, you want to make sure you prioritize some of those soybean fields as well. And so for both corn and soybeans right now, you want to get a good harvest priority plan in place. Uh, to help maximize the crop that you do have out there. Steve, do you have anything else to add to that? Especially since your area is essentially almost the opposite of, of what's happening in the West or anything to add to that as, as growers wrap up the growing season and head into harvest. Yeah. I think to reiterate one of the points is with us having a little bit too much moisture in some areas, I really need to drive home the point that growers have to be checking specifically their corn for late season standability. Uh, with all of the rain that we had, that brought a lot of cloud cover. And not only did we leach 
some nutrients out, uh, but that cloud cover took away good quality sunlight and that put another stress on the plants. And I don't think a lot of farmers really realize that. Uh, we saw this happen a couple of years ago and that further hampers our stock strength. And that's just another reason why I think growers are going to be a bit surprised when they go in their fields and they're probably not going to have the standability that they expect they're going to have. And I see that all across the territory that I cover from Missouri all the way over to Ohio. And then with that added moisture, we have a lot of disease pressure and that inoculum is going to be there for next year. So if a grower is contemplating a corn on corn type of a situation for 2022, he needs to start to think about how am I going to manage in a lot of my area, it would be a southern rust. It would be tar spot. We saw a huge amount of northern corn leaf blight. So there's there's an opportunity here to get back into the fields and to really understand your disease pressure and how that's going to affect the management practices that you're going to have to implement for 2022, specifically in those corn on corn acres that growers want to look at doing. What are some solutions that you recommend as they get ready for, for 2022, Steve? I, I know you said they need to be thinking about it, but get a little bit more specific there. What, what, what kind of practices, what things can they be looking at to, to have a better crop for next year? You know, with the extremes that we've seen in weather, we're seeing a bunch more flash weather events, flash drought, flash heat, flash large amounts of rain. The growers that we work with that are getting back to a 50-50 rotation are really helping set themselves up and de-risk their operations. So with the amount of pressure we're seeing on diseases and insects in both crops, I'm really asking growers to consider what does a 50-50 corn soybean rotation look like? Because we have some growers that, believe it or not, plant more beans than corn. We have a lot of growers that plant more corn than beans, but to even that out kind of spreads your risk and not be too leveraged on one side or the other, I think is something growers really have to look at. So I'm always starting with rotation. And if I can get a guy to do that, that's a good place to be. If they don't, then we start to go down the list of, okay, if you're going to be heavier corn, let's look at your disease triangle. Let's match genetics first to your farming practice. And after the genetics, let's look at okay, what do we need to do from, say, a seed treatment standpoint and soybeans or a fungicide standpoint, uh, corn or beans? And we've been preaching a little bit of an unpopular message about actually going back to a two-fungicide pass on some of our crops to help manage these diseases that we're having. I don't think a lot of growers realize, and I'll pick on corn specifically, we've got really quality fungicides in the market, but they last about half of our grain fill period. You know, a 200 bushel corn crop, you're going to get 60, 65 days of grain fill. Well, our best fungicide has given us 30 days. So you still have to be willing to protect the rest of that grain fill period. And the growers that do that are winning. The ones that aren't are certainly leaving opportunity on the table. And David, um, I know being in the Western part of the Corn Belt with you, I know there's a lot of growers in our area that are really thinking about even crop rotation for next year. What if it keeps being dry? I think that's really the big question on the other side, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, as, uh, as, and then we might even have some areas where a person might feel like, Hey, I'm in my, my second year where, you know, it's been dry. Of course, it wasn't that long ago in the Dakotas, you know, we had uh, excess rain for two years in a row and then it, it really switched here this year. And so, yeah, when you think about, you know, how do I manage to extreme, uh, weather conditions or to Steve's points where he's talking about, you know, we have all these flash events where, you know, extreme weather pops up. You know how do you uh, how do you manage for that? I mean, it, it's definitely uh, challenging, Kara. And so, you know, I I like to I guess always recommend you know start out with a good plan. Be thinking about your rotation. Um, you know what your total cropping plan is and how that that best fits your operation. But the biggest 
thing is because a lot of growers are going to be tied to, you know, that corn soybean rotation, or maybe you have some small grains intermixed in there, or in a lot of the West, maybe you have to have a pretty heavy corn on corn rotation uh, due to livestock. And so uh, when I think about those extreme weather events, you know, you want to control what you can control. And so, you know, make sure you, you know, stick to a good plan as far as, you know, what are my operations going to be for fertility and crop protection and uh, make sure you have a good plan in place, have everything well thought out. But then when you're sitting down to make your seed purchase decision for that next year, you know, focus on hybrids that have really good yield stability and, uh, you know, you might have products where they win the plot one year and, and then they're not, they don't win the plot the next year. And, you know, that's not the type of products that maybe you necessarily want when, when you look at all these extreme weather conditions. And so, you know, having a good plan in place and making sure you're, you know, you're working with a good trusted seed partner to help guide you through products with good yield stability that can handle the years when it rains too much or it rains too little. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I always feel like we, we do a good job bringing that, but um, it really starts with a good plan and having having a good uh, trusted uh, advisor to help you know guide you through that plan. David, looking back at the growing season, when I think of the western side of the Corn Belt, at least up here in the Dakotas in Minnesota, I didn't hear about much disease. Uh, what what really stuck out to you? Have you heard for, about disease in the corn and soybeans and other areas? in other states and and what did you hear most about this growing season? Yeah, you know, we had a we had a fairly, you know, light disease year, I guess, overall when you think about the whole geography, but there's no doubt we had, you know, some pockets pop up. Probably the the big one that we're seeing in the Minnesota and uh, you know, down into Iowa and then even coming in Nebraska this year was white mold on soybeans. Um we, we saw definitely increased white mold um pressure um, you know, really it, it probably expanded out of maybe some of the areas that you traditionally think of white mold, uh, affecting soybeans. And, and so we, we saw that disease kind of, um, you know, area of impact, um, grow quite larger. And so white mold one is white mold on soybeans is definitely one that's top of mind right now. Of course, we continue to see a uh, sudden death expand, uh, in soybeans as well. It seems like it's pushing North and West into areas we traditionally uh, didn't see sudden death in. So those would be uh, two big ones where we kind of see the the areas expanding. On the corn side of things, uh, really, for the most part, it was a fairly minimal uh, disease year. We definitely have some diseases out there. and We definitely have pockets that are more impacted than others. We did see some northern corn leaf blight come down maybe a little bit farther south than we normally uh, do. You know, probably a pretty average year on gray leaf spot. We did see southern rust. Um, come up this year, but, um, you know, not, not an extreme amount. And of course, um, we've seen some of that tar spot that, uh, you know, is, is pretty uh, popular conversation in the East. We saw that push a little bit farther West this year as well. Um, and so I guess it's kind of a, a wide range of diseases. And the biggest thing would be, you know, be out there monitoring, um, evaluating and understanding what kind of disease pressure you have in your fields, because maybe some of our traditional diseases are expanding a little bit and you don't want to be caught off guard when maybe that, that expansion gets a little bigger than you think. And, and then you're kind of surprised by it. Um, and so, you know, really be diligent to understand maybe what your local disease spectrum is and what you let a person see in locally. Steve, I know you had issues in your area with tar spot. Tell us a little bit more about tar spot because I'm not as familiar 
with that uh, in in the Western side of the Corn Belt where we're at. Um, and maybe some of our listeners out there may not be as well, but when did that start and, and what causes that? So that's a great question. Uh, tar spot showed up here a couple of years back and every year it seems to grow and spread across the Corn Belt. So typically I'll first look for it in the Northern Illinois, North, uh, I would say probably Northwest Indiana and Western Michigan. That's typically where we see our hot pockets. But this year, We've seen it expand all the way south down to uh, like Springfield, Illinois. Uh, we've seen it west of I-35 into Iowa. Uh, so it continues to grow and spread well up into uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota. And a lot of what we see is the moisture is what's driving this, uh, wet conditions. Uh, one of the best ways that this is spreading, we feel, is through plant residue, which is a bit problematic because even if you keep your fields clean, if you get a big windstorm, and we've had plenty of windstorms the last couple of years, it may blow across into yours, and now you have a problem, and it'll start to spread. And we've actually seen this in a lot of first-year cornfields this year, too. So there's a few ways to help manage it. So far, I think the industry as a whole, certainly us included at Golden Harvest, know that there is a strong genetic response, and we continue to look at and evaluate our products and our hybrids, so which ones uh, perform better. And we certainly do have some, but we also really like to use that early fungicide application followed by a tassel one to help control it. So uh, we will continue to learn more about tar spot, but I think what we know now is an earlier app followed by that tassel one is among our best opportunities to control it or at least to slow it down. I, I probably have to be a bit careful in using the word control with it, but I think that'll get us ahead of it. So match genetics along with the right management practice from a fungicide standpoint. And that's been getting us by so far. Steve, did you see any white mold in, in your areas of the corn belt? Yes, certainly. With the amount of precipitation that we've had, white mold is, is a big problem in some key areas. And you look at soybeans as a whole, the industry finds themselves launching a significant amount of new genetics in the Enlist E3 soybeans platform, as well as the Extendiflex soybeans platform. So there's a huge learning opportunity. A lot of these beans out there probably haven't had the environment uh, to be really scrutinized and understand what the white mold tolerance are. So uh, we certainly have learned a few things along the way. And I think I'm very proud to say we've gold harvest for the gold series soybeans are going to be really solid and a lot of the key maturities with white mold, but probably more so than white mold, uh, we are still fighting uh, the current problem that we have year and year that seems to grow, and that would be sudden death syndrome. And we look back to the spring that we had, early planting, great planting conditions, but it was cold, and then we turned wet, and that's the recipe for some sudden death syndrome to come out, and we've certainly seen that this year in pockets as well. Did you see many insects this year in the Eastern Corn Belt? Yes. So specifically public enemy number one for the last couple of years for, uh, I think uh, both David and myself has been corn rootworm. Uh, that thing is back and in a big way. So we spend a lot of our time coaching and working with growers on how to manage corn rootworm and specifically in my area. Uh, we've seen it spread into areas we've not seen it in quite some time. Uh, so I've noticed over the years that the flight seems to be happening earlier and extending quite a bit later throughout the year. And I'm seeing a lot more movement north, east, and south. Uh, so uh, about 10 days ago, I was in Savoy, Illinois, in a soybean field, and I saw both northerns and westerns. I, I've never seen that in my career with <laughs> Syngenta that late, that far south. So there's going to be some problems there in 2022, and that's going to necessitate that growers 
have conversations with their trusted seed advisors around how we're going to manage this going forward. Uh, we certainly see CRW as probably the biggest challenge and the biggest need for coaching from any type of insect type platform that I'm going to be talking with growers on over winter and watching for 2022. When I think of the West Western Corn Belt, David, I think of the dry conditions and there were a lot of insects I know out West this year. Yeah. I mean, to, to Steve's point, uh, you know, obviously corn uh, rootworm, I mean, it, it really is the, the number one insect challenge that we face. Uh, we're, we're seeing, you know, really the high pressure um, zone increase. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, rootworm issues into the Dakotas, uh, into Minnesota. And when I'm out with those growers, a lot of times they're actually pretty surprised to realize the level of pressure uh, that they have in their fields. You know, a, a lot of growers, maybe Nebraska or Iowa, um, you know, maybe they're a little more accustomed to it. They've been dealing with the pest maybe a little bit uh, longer term. So it maybe doesn't quite surprise them as much. But we're definitely seeing an expansion of these heavy, heavy pressure areas. And so growers that are uh, planting corn on corn, really, irregardless of if you've had an issue in the past, you need to be really diligent because it seems like the issues really catch people uh, off guard or unexpected. And so whenever you're dealing with corn on corn, uh, be mindful of it. Make sure you have a really good plan in place. Um, you know, just using um, the trade alone or relying on the trade alone and uh, just kind of planning it, forget about it really, you know, isn't a, isn't a practical uh, option anymore. A uh, person needs to be mindful of it. They need to make sure they're managing it, uh, you know, through through multiple mes- methods and they're having really good corn rootworm management uh, practices. And even in our growers in like Iowa or Nebraska or parts of Western Kansas where they are more familiar of it, uh, they need to make sure that they step up um, their approach and their proactive nature uh, into managing it uh, as well because we're just we're just seeing a lot of increased pressure um, from the corn rootworm side of things. Uh, now, when we transition over to soybeans, this is really an area where you're hearing a, a lot of talk nowadays, and and a lot of that in the West would center around soybean gulmage. You know, first discovered, uh, you know, south of Omaha, Nebraska, there uh, a number of years ago, really picked up steam the past few years, and we really see it kind of up and down that Missouri River Valley, you know, all the way from from St. Joe, uh, Missouri, up to north of uh, Sioux City, and then it kind of spreads out uh, east to west off that Missouri River. And this is a tough one because the land-grant universities, whether that's Iowa State or University of Nebraska, they don't quite have a handle on best practices for management right now. And so a lot of different things out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of good work taking place to help growers best manage uh, soybean gallmage. But, you know, there's not a, a sure file management method for it yet. Um, and so that that's one, that's kind of the a new one, uh, you know, that's kind of, um, you know, garnering a lot of talk right now. And it, it has a major impact on yield. And so it, it definitely is, is justified. But uh, that would be a big one on soybeans. And then something that I'm seeing maybe a little more locally um, would be soybean stem borer. Started in north central Kansas probably seven or eight years ago continued to expand its range moving north by east and i'm seeing a soybean stem bore uh, all the way up into halfway into nebraska um, and it uh, impacts the soybean crop by boring through the the stem and then eventually um, gurring the bottom of the stem out causing the, the soybean to fall over 
And uh, so we're seeing the range of that soybean stem bore expand as well. And there's not a, not a good management method outside of timely harvest to really stay ahead of those. And so uh, there's definitely two new soybean pests that are a little more challenging. And, uh, and then we need to make sure we stay up on our corn rootworm management for sure. And lastly, weeds, which weeds were top threats this year in your area? And this, I think, could be asked and we can ask of both of you here at once. Uh, I think because weeds are kind of a universal language. <laughs> Seems like where one's noxious, the other the other side of the, the Corn Belt also is experiencing something similar. But correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah, I mean, we're probably both right in the heart of this. I mean, obviously, the big ones are, you know, water hemp and, and Palmer amaranth. Um, you know, those are the big challenging ones. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's other challenging uh, weeds out there as well. You know, particularly if you move into North Dakota or you move west, um, you know, there is there is some, some other challenging things with, with kochia and things like that. But definitely the big ticket item one. Um, that seems like affects everybody across the board would be water hemp and Palmer. Um, once you say so, Steve, um, even, you know, moving East for sure. Absolutely. I mean, we fight them and we'll still have our problematic areas of ragweeds too. I don't want to forget about that. I think it really, it's a real challenge for us in agronomy to continue to work with growers on this because our ability to continue to utilize active ingredients and residual chemistries to control these is getting less and less all the time. Yet we see our challenges to control these weeds grow more and more. So just as David and I were talking about some of the real challenges we have with managing corn rootworm, I think we see the equal challenge in the couple of weed species. And we ask growers to really take it serious. These weeds become harder and harder to control. And it's really problem. It's a real problematic thing because if, you know, if we're not controlling our weeds, those are also, in effect, harboring insects too. And so they kind of work together. I mean, they're stealing our nutrients, they're harboring insects and pests, and they're taking away yields. So a weed control is very paramount to high production management systems. And we've got a battle on our hands with two or three species going on right now. Are there any strategies, David, that farmers can be taking against these weeds in their season prep for next year, especially going into harvest and running a combine through the fields? Yeah. So really when it comes to weed control, it, you have to think about it as it's, it's kind of a long-term battle. And so I always say that um, the best weed control in a soybean field is good weed control in the cornfield the, the year before. A lot of times we think about some of these tough to control uh, weeds we maybe be more of a soybean problem. And some of that just has to do with the fact that, you know, you see it easier in a soybean field, but you know, good soybean weed control starts with good corn weed, weed control the year before if you're in a 50, 50 rotation. And so you want to make sure you have a, have a good uh, program for your corn weed control and, and corn, just because of some of the chemistries available in corn, um, seems like it, it's, it's a little bit easier uh, of a challenge than, uh, than maybe soybeans. But just because it might seem easier or maybe just because you don't see the problem out there uh, doesn't mean you can relax on it. So you want to start with a really good corn program where you have a really strong uh, residual product and that, uh, that you have a good residual-based uh, post-product. And uh, the big thing when you're controlling these tough-to-control weeds is you always want to make sure that you're really kind of sp spraying ground, not weeds. And so the best way to control these 
if they're pre-emerges, you you don't want to allow them to get up and growing because once they get started growing, then they're really difficult to control. And so that's why you want to use overlapping residual products, a good product to control the emergence of those weeds. You want to make sure that you don't leave your crop unprotected anytime. And then when you are uh, going after weeds post or after the weeds emerge, you want to spray little weeds. Um, you know, far too often, if once I see them poking up over the beans or whatever, or I can see them down the road of the corn, you know, when I'm driving by, seems to be when you want to take action. And, uh, you know, there's really nothing worse than that. And so you want to spray the weeds when they're less than, than three inches in height. And you want to make sure you have overlapping residual. And that goes for, for both corn and soybeans. And on soybeans, where it's a little more challenging, you might need to have three overlapping residuals. You have an early residual, a residual at planting, and then a residual uh, in crop. And so uh, you can definitely get good control, but you need to make sure you have a really good plan in place um, You know, with good products, with effective um, active ingredients, multiple mode of, modes of action, and uh, an overlapping residuals. Steve, do you have anything else to add to that? Nope. As David said, it's if you're spraying weeds, you've kind of already lost the battle a little bit. I mean, the way some of these grow, as aggressive as they are, read your labels, understand your chemistries, and be on your 25, 28, 30, whatever day schedule it is. Make sure you're getting your residuals down. The easiest weed to control is the one that you never see. That's a really great tip. Thank you both for sharing that. As we get to the end of this podcast episode, considering all of 2021's challenges, what can farmers expect for their corn and soybean harvest? And let's start with Steve. Steve, how do things look in the Eastern Corn Belt? Yeah, so as we sit here today, Kara, we actually have a fair amount of harvest going on in my Southern to Central areas. And the yields so far, have been very good. And we would have expected that given there was a lot of fungicide used. We are well ahead on heat units. We had a, overall a good growing season and yields are coming through very strong. But as we alluded to earlier, we have a large amount of concern across my entire area, irregardless of company brand or product of stock quality and integrity. So we're encouraging farmers to go out and to get the crop and get it early. We certainly understand that the cost to dry the crop might be a little bit more this year, given what LP and the cost of that is. But I feel a lot of our growers have very good yields and we want them to realize that and to go out and to get that crop harvested as soon as possible. And our fear is that if they don't, the later into the season you get, the more standability issues that a farmer is going to likely have as they try to harvest their crop. So we feel pretty good, optimistic. Certainly we're going to have people and farms that have a record yield performance. And we're very happy about that. We're very pleased with how our products are performing, but time is of the essence and we want to get this crop in the bin ASAP. David, do you have anything to add on the crop in the Western Corn Belt? I know that uh, the big buzz this year has been, will the loss, will the awesome crop in the East offset some of the challenges in the West? Is it as challenging as some thought it would be to get this corn and soybean crop in the West? Yeah, I mean, so far, you know, we have pretty good weather uh, coming into harvest. Uh, you know, un unfortunately, one of the one of the benefits of uh, is having a, a drought is that 
you know, our corn's drying down uh, a little bit earlier. Um, and so, you know, we'll probably see corn harvest maybe start a little bit sooner or soybean harvest start a little bit sooner in some areas. And obviously we have good field conditions uh, to go out there and, and harvest right now. And so we are seeing corn harvest uh, start, um, you know, across Nebraska, Kansas, seeing soybean harvest um, start in those same geographies. And, uh, you know, right, right now it's looking like we'll have some pretty good weather to it. Um, for the most part, the crop is, uh, you know, holding together pretty well, but we have had some wind damage, you know, particularly, uh, South Dakota into Minnesota, uh, you know, had, had some wind, uh, events, saw some smaller events in Nebraska and Iowa. And so we definitely have some pockets where they're, they're challenged, um, from, you know, some of those wind events, you know, physically impacting, uh, the crop. But uh, right now we're, we're we're looking like we have some pretty good weather uh, coming coming into harvest, and so it'll just come down to prioritizing those fields that you want to harvest early, and uh, making sure you you maybe harvest those both before fields where you think hey this one can stand a little bit longer. David, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure to get to chat with you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Thank you very much. Enjoyed our time here this afternoon. That's all the time we have for this episode of We're All Ears. I hope you'll join me in October and November as I have conversations with agronomists, ag policy experts, and more to discuss all things corn and soybean production. You don't want to miss week two of the We're All Ears podcast, where we'll discuss the current state of agriculture markets, trade and policy, and how each will impact harvest in the 2022 season. Make sure you don't miss any new content by subscribing to We're All all ears on your preferred podcast streaming platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And remember, just like you're listening, we're listening too. So if you want to be part of the conversation, interact with us at Golden Harvest on Facebook and Twitter or Golden Harvest Seeds on Instagram. Let us know what you think so far. Thanks for joining us in this very first episode of We're All Ears. We'll catch you again next week. Important. Always read and follow label and bag tag instructions. Enlist E3 Soybean Technology is jointly developed with Dow AgroSciences LLC and MS Technologies LLC. Enlist E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences LLC.